My thanks to Jeremy and to the band for playing today. Do you know where this song comes from in the Bible? How deep, wide, long, high, this everlasting love of God. Do you know where that is? It's in a pretty good book in the Bible. If you keep memorizing with me, you'll get there. Ephesians, yes, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, the second part. And uh, when we get there, I'll, I'll give you a little preview of it. When we get to that great, great text that tells us about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, it really is a prayer that you and I might know something about it and that we'll experience it. Um, and it says that it goes beyond anything human beings can know. And what it is going to tell us is the way that we are to experience some, something that otherwise we could never know in this world uh, is in a, a group of believers like this. That, that God has rooted us into a family, which was God's eternal plan. And that if the church family, and you know that so many of these local church families, including our own, have often been so flawed and so frail that people who come in don't experience this unconditional, everlasting love that goes beyond normal human knowing. But our prayer is that God will continue to do this incredible work in us and through us. And, and I, I just covet your prayer for me and, and the role God's given me. The visitors, I'm the senior pastor here at the, of the Lake Avenue Church, and once in a while they'll even invite me to come up on Sunday nights for the warehouse. So I, I always love doing it. And, uh, but, but this is where we're going, the, the book of Ephesians. I, I call it Paul's great manifesto about what the church should be. And... Um, if you say, well, I haven't seen a church that's quite like that, well, just wait. God tells us it's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. And if you say, but this church isn't perfect, he will say, look in the mirror. It's not perfect because you aren't. <laughs> but God's gracious with us, right? He's gracious with us. And if you'll be gracious with one another and with your pastor and your pastor with you, God says he's going to do a work among us that as we live in community together, we will experience something that goes beyond human knowledge, namely how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. This is a great song. We'll have to pull this back again when we get to chapter 3. Well, I'm glad to be with you uh, here at the warehouse this evening. Uh, I'm a little bit, I was trying to think about what word it is. Um, intimidated, uh, feeling awkward, uh, because so many of you were in church this morning. And uh, I'm talking about the same text. Amy, I saw you there. Uh, our, our rap group folks over here. I, uh, I'm going to do the same text, and I want you to talk with Albert afterwards because he tells me he's a great rapper, and you need to tell me if he really is. Uh, Jessica and Matt, you guys were there this morning. I saw you. Any, who, who was in the worship service this morning? Oh, okay, not everybody. Okay. Those who get to hear it, they needed to hear. They have this anchored in, in their minds. You, you can just see it, right? Matthew you needed a lot of help uh, today. The rest of us will need to hear it for the very first time. I, I will tell you this. So much of what goes on in, in the text that I'm going to be reading and, and try to talk to you about stands at the heart of what I long for this church family to be. Uh, the book of Ephesians that we're studying, I'm calling it God's Unexpected Family. It's an adopted family, if you were here last week. So, you know, when you have people adopted into the family, uh, at first, uh, adopted families don't look to our physical eyes exactly the same, right? And that is truly uh, the truth about uh, the family of God at, at first. But 
God has promised that he's going to keep working in us, that this unexpected group of people who at first don't look a lot, a lot alike come from all sorts of every, when he's done, every tribe, language, nation, every people group in the world are going to be gathered around the throne of God. But there are going to be family traits, family traits that we share in the book of Ephesians, which is Paul's great, I call it manifesto of what the church should be is something that I am praying all fall that God might use to to teach us a little bit. When we talk about warehouse being church from the inside out, well, what does that church look like? It's not a building. It's it's a family that has been God's eternal plan. And uh, and we we get to see God bringing this family together. You know, as we gather here in the warehouse this evening, we're not the only people of God gathering in the name of Christ. You know that, don't you? really is one of the most exciting things in the world to be able to go to a small tribe uh, in French-speaking West Africa in a place like Burkina Faso and meet brothers and sisters. Meet brothers and sisters. It's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced. Or to be able to go to, uh, to Sri Lanka and, out and see uh, warring groups, Tamils and singles, coming together and worshiping and knowing that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know if you've had a chance to experience that, but one of the things I love... I've only been here a year, but one of the things I love about being in Southern California is that this, this has to be one of the most incredibly diverse communities in all of the world. And that means that if we will be what the church would have us to be and call people to faith in Christ, we have the opportunity to reflect a little bit of the makeup of our father's family. It's one of the things that excites me about being here, um, and uh, I, I'm just praying that this church, the Lake Avenue Church, that's been here on this corner for a long time, well over a hundred years, might continue to be a place that is just filled with the energy of the Spirit of God at work as he draws together the diverse people from this community into one family so that as the world looks at this thing, they'll say, there must be a God because he has to be doing this. This could not be a human initiative. This isn't just a social club. This isn't a sports team. This group of people is being drawn together simply because they love Jesus. And if that happens, Jesus said, when they see us living like that, they will know that the Father had sent him. See, that wasn't in this morning's sermon, but I'll leave other things out. Um, let's look. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Some of us, I've been asking our church people to memorize this. I don't know if any of you are joining me in that task. This morning I looked out and I think, oh, we had well over 4,000 people down in the worship center. I think seven, seven, it seemed to me, were probably doing it. I'm I'm not sure. But I'll tell you, it's it's a wonderful thing to do. And if you start with me now, by the end, you'll be amazed at what happens as you're able to commit uh, the scriptures to your mind, to your heart. And particularly this one, I think, will come back again and again. This week, uh, the part that I've been working on is verses 1 through 8, uh, but I'll read all the way through verse 14. Um, I won't ask you to read along with me, but I, I want you to know as I'm beginning to read that there is one big long sentence. It runs from verse 3 to 14. The Apostle Paul is even more excited than I am about what can happen if the church really is the church. If we will reflect the unity of what God has done, he says this has been God's plan forever. It's been God's plan forever, and we get to see it, and we get to be a part of it, and we get to be engaged in calling other people into it. And today we're going to get to see that in the first part of the reading and afterwards some of the confidence that comes from that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Let's stand because I want us to know that we are hearing the word of the one who is the maker of the heaven 
heavens and earth, and I'll just tell you, the eternal lover of your soul. Uh, Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints, it's, it's just his word for all believers, for those of you who may come from other backgrounds, to the saints who are in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the one sentence begins. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, in Christ Jesus, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Here it is, the mystery of his will. To be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, we also were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And this is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One big sentence. Can you imagine trying to read that without taking a breath? I tried to do it, but I I don't have a big enough breath, so I'll have to keep working on it. Um, I knew that today that I would have the opportunity in our morning worship and even here this evening to speak to the breadth of the family of our church. You know, here at the Lake Avenue Church, we have Comunidad, Spanish-speaking fellowship. We have um, an Ethiopian fellowship, Arabic-speaking fellowship. We have Asian fellowship with Korean, Japanese, Asian. We have all of and this today we all gathered uh, together. So I started trying to think very, very broadly, especially in the light of this text, about things that touch every human life, wherever it may be found. And so I want to run two things past you. You know, sometimes you're criticized when you make these big, broad generalizations. People say, well, you you can't do that. Well, I'm going to try to do it anyway, and then you can think about whether they are true. I think there are two things that that are consistent with this text that are true of all human beings. Uh, And I'm going to put it in in terms of the way God has made it. But I think we're that way whether we see he's made us that way or not. First, I, I think God has made us as people with a deep sense that there is some purpose, some direction for all of life. That things are not simply haphazard or not just cyclical, 
But, but we find that most human beings don't do well when we think that things aren't headed in some direction and therefore that there is no purpose behind anything that has happened. There have been attempts by different philosophies to try to reject that. Uh, existentialists tried to argue it. And yet you know that the only result of that is that there's no direction, if there's no purpose, is that everything in this world is absurd. And, and, and then there is no way that we can ever believe that evil will be punished or that goodness will ever be rewarded. We're built with a sense hoping that evil will be punished and that goodness will be rewarded and that things really matter and things are headed in a certain direction. I've been thinking about this and batting it off of almost everybody who crossed my path. It's one of the things my kids always get irritated with me. When I'm working on a sermon, I always talk about it around the table so that they know exactly what's coming. And then I have to always refrain from using them as sermon illustrations. And, and I don't refrain very well, do I? Some of you have heard me uh, do this. But I've been batting it past people. And on Tuesday, I had a couple of meetings with uh, two of my colleagues and uh, one was Pastor Dina Moore. Do, do you know Dina? I know in the warehouse, you don't always get to know some of the wonderful people who are in the rest of the life of the church. But Dina has been this remarkable preteen pastor here in this church for many years, has touched the lives of so many people and families in this community. And this past year, she experienced an, a terrible tragedy. Her husband, Terry, who if you ever met him, he was just he was a man's man. I'll tell you, so, so uh, strong and, and vibrant that you'd think he would live forever. But he fell off of a roof and was tragically killed. Uh, it's been a very, very hard year for Dina. And yet now she's back again, offering hope and good news to our preteens and to the family again. And I just ran this past. I said, Dina, did it make any difference to you? I mean, just a practical difference that you believe that this wasn't just something that was randomly happening, but that there is some purpose or direction that a good and powerful God is working out, that it's headed in some direction, that even tragedy can be turned into victory. Did that make any difference? And her response to me was this, was yes, Greg, it, it, it did. Now, I, I don't want to try to pretend that it took away all the sorrow or that it, that it eliminates the loneliness that's very real in this time of loss. But I want you to know this is the thing that I have held on to, that God promises there will be a rejoining and that even a tragedy that we cannot understand now, that God has something that he is going to work out. And that's why she has stepped right back into ministry, to bring this message of good news and hope to those that, are, that she's ministering to. So I finished with that. And then second, I went and met with John Stuthers. He's the new uh, director of worship and arts here in the life of our church, working together with uh, Jeremy and, and the team and trying to think through how does a family of God like this worship together. Uh, I first met John, um, uh, or spent time with him, last January. We went out to lunch together down on South Lake. I don't know if it was Crocodiles or Smitty's, but we were, we were sitting there talking, and he was saying, there are so many things happening. I was just getting to know him. He had just started coming to the church, and I'd heard that he had written musicals and, and, and directed and, and arranged, and, and he began going through this whole host of things he's done throughout his life. Uh, working with artists all around Southern California, working in camps, working in colleges, leading worship. And he said, sometimes I wonder how all these random bits ever fit together. And I said, John, does it make any difference to you when you see all these things that you don't know how on earth they fit together or what on earth that they mean? That God says there is some meaning behind everything, a direction where it's headed. And he said, absolutely. It's the thing that I've held on to and my wife Sandy have held on to so many times when we couldn't quite understand 
why the things were happening to us. Now, I'll just tell you, I have found that both Christian people or religious people and those who profess to be secular have this deep sense or at least hope that there's a direction where things are headed. Um, and uh, why else, when things are going so bad, that you, do you hear, and sometimes on television, there must be some reason for this. There must be some purpose for this. I've been hearing it again and again in the light of these two tragedies that Aaron uh, mentioned to me. So that's the first thing I just want to run by you. I think we're built to long for some sense of direction, some purpose behind things. Now, the second thing is very much related to it, and that is... I think we're also made with a deep longing that what we do actually matters. Or, or what we do actually contributes to something that's good. In other words, that our lives need to have some meaning. It's not just that there is a direction, but that what you and I are doing actually makes some positive contribution because our lives go by so quickly. And all of us have this longing to have our lives count towards something that is positive. When there ends up being a disconnection between our lives and some sense of meaning, then what happens is either people just give up or, or number two, they try to fill in that meaninglessness with something. Uh, work, uh, drugs, chemicals, uh, just ongoing entertainment, those things, that, those things won't fill it. Or third, or third, sometimes we go on a real search for something that can give lasting meaning to our day-by-day living. Now, uh, to try to illustrate this, uh, I did this this morning, but I, I think it's a good illustration. I was reminded of an article I read, it was probably 15 or 17 years ago in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it, was, it was an article written about a change that the com- Swedish company, automaker Volvo, made in the way that automobiles were being made. Uh, the article I remember began something like this, uh, that even though automobiles don't look the same as the old Model T that Henry Ford made, in the 1980s, they were, start, they were still being built in the same way, in, in the same old assembly line uh, process. I don't know if any of you have ever worked on one of those where you know, there's an assembly line just going through and you have just one job over and over and over again. Well, the executives at Volvo recognized that the people who worked for a longer period of time on that assembly line were in, growing increasingly depressed and their productivity was going down repeatedly. And so they came up with a, a new concept. And now it's, you, you know, it's, it's become so common that we don't realize it didn't used to be a concept. When I, when I went over to visit JPL not too long ago, they do this a lot. They moved away from the old assembly line to what they called a batch team process in building automobiles. What they did was assemble teams of about 20 people. And those teams were to build an entire automobile. So different people would do different kinds of work. But at the end of the day, they were able to see that their work contributed to, a, contributed to a finished product. What happened, and the Wall Street Journal reported this, is that this approach resulted in sharply improved productivity and improvement in quality, as well as profits that became the envy of the world auto industry. In fact, for the five years before they did this, Volvo was losing $45 million per year, which was more back then than it is now. And after that, five years afterwards, they had become the most profitable automaker in the world. Now, the statement by the chairman of the board is the one that I just want to mention to you. He said, I want the people in a team to be able to go home at night and really say, I built a car. His name is Per Gielenhammer. Any Swedes here? 
Oh, good. Then I can say it however I want. <laughs> and then he went on to say, you know, there's something about this approach of letting each one see how his work contributes to the building of a whole car that is very humanizing. See, it's that line that is very humanizing. See, that, that's what confirms to me that my two observations are true of, of at least what we long to be true. We, we want to know that things are headed in some direction, and we really long to know that our lives contribute positively to that larger direction. Now, if that is true, when I think about the role that God has given me these days to be the pastor here at Lake Avenue Church, then I've thought about this, about you and me. And... Um, one of the things I've been praying about is I've wanted to establish in your hearts, I mean to all of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and claim that he is our master and our savior and, and the hope of our lives, I, I want to tell you that, that God, one of the distinctions about being a Christian is that the word of God consistently tells us that we have a destiny, that, that life is not just haphazard. And that God calls us in so that our lives are not just random. There is a purpose to life. And God calls us into his family. And gives us the ability to have our lives make a positive difference in this world. A positive difference in what he is doing in his wor this world. Because I'm so assured of this. That if somehow we can be convinced that this simple biblical message. That, that brothers and sisters who have gone on before us have held on to. Uh, from Romans 8.28, that you and I know that God works in all things, in all things, for a purpose, for the good of those who love him, for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Now notice that Romans 8.28 doesn't say that he's necessarily going to change that circumstance so that the circumstance is good. I've had to come to grips with that. I, I think I've told at least some of you this story. I had this short period of time where I lost both my middle daughter and my only brother. Now, I'll tell you, that circumstance to me is not a good circumstance. But what he says is he will even take a situation like that and work it for the good of those who love him. Uh, not take away the sorrow, but take away that sting of hopelessness. Because the biblical message from the, from the very heart of it is that God takes a cross, something as awful as a cross, and turns it into the very historic place of eternal victory. And because of that, that gives us hope when we become believers. And this text in Ephesians drives it home. Now, what I want to do, and I'll, I'll try to do it just briefly, and you can just think and pray about it, is to look at three facts about the future, about this destiny, that I find driven home in this book of Ephesians. Now, it speaks to um, the main point of the book of Ephesians is talking about a whole church family. It's not just talking about individuals. So it's talking about God wanting to have this incredible what I'm calling this unexpected family that nobody could believe would ever come into one family. But I want you to know, though it's speaking about a direction and a destiny for, for his church, for his family, it has implications for us individually. I'll, I'll try to show those to you. Okay, fact about the future number one. God tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that his eternal plan was that there was going to be a family in this world, in this broken world, and before he's done, this whole family is going to be holy and blameless in his sight. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, chapter 1. Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him 
before the creation of the world. I don't know if you have a Bible in front of you. To be. To be what? Eternal plan before the creation of the world. He was going to draw together a group of people in Christ who he's going to begin a work in that when he's done, each of us individually and all of us. I'm trying to 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 be an objective teacher here instead of. Well, we'll see how I do on that. Each of us individually and all of us as a whole are going to be holy and blameless. Now, maybe you have heard that so many times that it just kind of rolls off your back like water off of a duck. But let me tell you, that is incredible. Because if we knew one another well, we would know that we're not a particularly holy and blameless group of people, are we? And it also really clashes with a notion that some people have that God just, Christianity is just kind of believe on Jesus and he'll forgive you of your past sins and then you can keep living as you want. No, 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 no. God says, you know, you've gotten yourself in a mess. Uh, if you don't live God's way, it, it, you're going to ruin your life. You're going to ruin your family and ruin the, 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 your friendships and the people around you. But I love you. So I want to forgive you of sins. But I want your life to be the way it's created to be lived. It, it really is a shocking thing. In fact, the, the, the way that I've often put it is this. And I wrote it down for you. We have to know as Christians that Jesus did not give his life for our sins. And then leave us to live in our sins. Does that make sense to you? God does not give his Holy Spirit to his church and to his people. And then just leave us to be unholy people. He says, I want you to to be what I made you to be. And I want you to know, I'm not going to stop my work in you until you are. One of the difficulties in us this fall, only studying Ephesians 1 through 3, is that Ephesians 1 through 3 is all about what God has done. It does give us these little indicators, like he's going to make it so that eventually we are holy and blameless in the way that we are and the way we live. Uh, But it's not until you get to 4 through 6 that we we see that we have a responsibility in this, to stay away from destructive living. It it starts with chapter 4, and I feel like Paul kind of really lets the hammer down. Now, you remember, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, he says, chapter 4, verse 1. So as a prisoner for the Lord, because I brought you the gospel, I want you to live a life that's worthy of this calling of Jesus giving his life for you. And then he talks about this holy and blameless kind of living that is our destiny. And I'll tell you, to me, uh, there are a couple of implications of this. Um, One on an individual level, it, it gives me an encouragement that when I come into a service like the one that you've come in tonight, and you know, you kind of look back over this past week, and you can see all sorts of things that, that are still not the way that you know that, that God would have them to be, and they're not even what you and I want them to be, that we can bring these things back to God, and God will not be done with us. Because he says, I won't be done with you until you are this. I have called you into my family to be holy and blameless. And if you ask who's going to determine this thing, that phrase, in his sight. The God who knows our inner beings, our thoughts, our attitudes, has said he's going to keep working in you and me until we are what he created us to be. So it gives me hope that when we come, and you need to be here to come in again and say, Father, I'm going to give this thing to you again. Will you take it? He said, that's exactly why I called you into my family. So that I could call you, give myself to you, And give you a chance to begin again. Because the destiny that we have 
is that we will be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, A second thing that it gives me is some patience for the life of the church. And uh, those of you who will make uh, Lake Avenue your your unlikely family, I want to drive this one home really so that you'll be patient even with your pastor. All right? Um, If you come to a church like this one and you say, that sir is an imperfect pastor up there, uh, and boy, this is an imperfect church, the only thing I can say to you is, why are you surprised? I mean, why are you surprised? God isn't done with us yet. But the promise is that he loves us so much that, that, that as we become this, this family where we, we teach and, and admonish and pray for and uphold one another, God is going to keep doing his work. And, and the central vehicle of his work will be these local gatherings of families like this. And he'll keep doing this work until we individually are holy and blameless and that we all are the holy and blameless people bringing praise and glory to God. I have a verse uh, that has become almost my key verse for Lake Avenue Church, so at least you'll know what makes my heart beat. It's Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Uh, did, we, we, did we have that jet what, this morning? We, oh, there it is. This morning we couldn't get that thing up there for anything, could we? Wow, I'm glad it's there. Because I, I just want you to look at that with me. Um, whenever you gather in a place that's associated with this family of God, this is from the Apostle Paul when he talked about his mission in, in a book that's very much related to Ephesians, to Colossians. He says, here's what we do. We proclaim Christ. So that's what... When, when you sense that I'm just kind of declaring my own self or whatever, I'm off, we're, we're going to keep proclaiming that Christ is the one who can change our lives. So we're going to, in this family, admonish each one in other words, if you walk away from God and keep going in that unholy and very blame-filled life, we're going to use wisdom, you'll see it a little bit later, to call you away from that. We're going to say you're going to hurt yourself living that way. Admonishing each one and teaching each one with all wisdom. So we're going to proclaim Christ. When some of us in the family are walking away, we're going to admonish and, and say, that's not the way we're supposed to live. And if you say, but how am I supposed to live? We're going to teach, and wisdom is the way we're supposed to live according to what God has revealed here. So that, with this goal, we may present each one fully mature, complete in Christ. The, the, word, the Greek word is tatelion. It's, 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 it's perfect. It's, it's the way God made us to be. And then Paul would say this. It is to this end that we strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. So that's the first fact about the future, is that it begins with us acknowledging that we are not, in and of ourselves, blameless and holy people. But if if you become a part of the family uh, and allow God to do his work, he will not be finished until each one and all are holy and blameless in his sight. Okay, second, second point. Now, Jesus, I'll, put it, I'll tell you what the point is, then I'll have to explain it. Jesus eventually is going to sum up everything. If, 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 if there are things that happen in life that just make no sense, uh, and, and you figure out, when am I ever going to figure out how this fits? We may have to wait a long time. And I, I, I always put a few things up on a shelf. And I, I, I throw them out at you sometimes. 
like the death of an infant. Sometimes I just can't make sense out of that. Or when I hear about the mass tragedies that happen through, through natural disasters, sometimes I say, I don't see it. I just don't see it. But what we are going to see here is, is God says, I know that in this imperfect world. There will be things happening that you wonder what's going on, but eventually everything is going to make sense in Christ. You have your Bible, look at verse 9. And God made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Here, here's what he's saying. Uh, before the creation of the world, God had intended that he was going to have an adopted family. In the midst of a broken world, where relationships aren't what they should be, God was going to have a place where all of us could belong, uh, a place where sins are forgiven and lives are remade. Uh, and you and I are getting to experience the, the Old Testament. Some of the prophets, they had an inkling of this. They knew that somehow through the Jewish people, someone would come who would be able to be a blessing to all nations, but they didn't know how God was going to do it. And now we know the mystery that had been kept hidden has been revealed. He is going to do it in Christ. God was going to enter into this world himself so that all who are in Christ have those walls that separate us from God down and the walls that separate us from people coming down. In Christ, the mystery has been revealed. Now, why did he wait so long? Why is it that God doesn't do things faster? Look at what he has to say. What God is, is going to do is to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment. All right. Oh, let me read the next phrase, because there are two very difficult Greek words here. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. All right. The first thing I want to point out, this is family talk. You know that Paul was not writing in English. He wasn't writing in Spanish for main Spanish speakers. He wasn't writing in Tagalog, if we have any Philippine folks here. Uh, Paul's first language was, what do you think? Probably, yeah, it could have been Aramaic, it could have been some Hebrew. He wrote in Greek, so he probably wasn't reading in his, writing in his first language. But the words are words that are so important to us. Now, the first one, this one that is translated in my version to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, is oikonomia. What it means is managing a household. Managing of a household. It's, God says, I'm going to call together a family uh, and I'm going to do a work in the family and the management of how things work out in this household, I am going to be the one who does it. I'm going to determine what happens and when it takes place. Now, I don't know if you understand that, but I do. I grew up in a family. You know, almost every family, both good and bad families, have somebody who is in charge of that household, right? And that was really true in my family in West Virginia. My mom is little. She's five feet tall. Some of you have heard me say she's kind of a combination of Lucille Ball and Granny on Beverly Hillbillies. She is a personality, I'm telling you, outspoken. I, I, I grew up in the ultimate, uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy family. She, she, now, my dad had the career, he supported the family, but my mom ran that household. And so I'm telling you, when we had work days as a family, things were going to be done and she had set the schedule. My brother, who was two years older, and I often tried to get that thing changed. Mom, can we do this? And always the answer was, not until that is finished. Then come back. You, you see what I'm getting at? She had a scheme of what she was going to do. She knew what it was. She laid it out in front of us. She was managing that situation. And that's what God says here. I have a system scheme for what I'm going to do in this world. 
Right now, some of it may not make sense to you fully. But in my time, in my way, I'm going to manage this until something beautiful happens. But if you say, but what's happening makes no sense to me, that's where the next phrase, the first one was that oikonomia. The second word is a much, much bigger uh, word. And that is anakephalata'amai. Anakephalata'amai. And that is this phrase that in Christ, All things in heaven and on earth, and my version says, will be brought together. But that's really not what it says. Do we have any accountants at the warehouse? Accountants don't show up at the warehouse. We need to evangelize accountants. (laughs) Because they would love this. They would love this phrase. It it has the, the notion of lining up a sum of numbers until you look at the bottom, does it add up? And and that's the phrase that is used. You look at everything that is happening in this world. Sometimes, don't things happen that just make no sense at all? Uh, Events in our personal lives, events in the world, and I think some of the things that we've heard that Aaron prayed about with hurricanes or with this train disaster, we look at things like that, they don't seem to add up. Perhaps you've been in places like John Stuthers mentioned where you're in a place in your life and you can't figure out why on earth you're there or what difference your life is making. We've all been there, right? And sometimes we become so impatient. And God says, trust me. I know what I'm doing. I'm managing this household that I'm bringing together. I love you so much I sent my one and only son to bring it together so that you could be forgiven. And when he finishes his work, you will see it all adds up. It will begin to make sense. It's this indication that we don't live in a random world. Uh, I wrote on the uh, worship folder, I don't know if it made it here, about um, getting to hear Stephen Hawking, probably the world's leading theoretical physicist, uh, when I was studying in Cambridge. He was taking off on something that Albert Einstein once said, uh, does God play dice? Uh, Einstein was trying to wrestle as a mathematician and scientist uh, with whether there was any opportunity for human freedom Uh, You know, it's not just Christians that wrestle with how does this fit together with God's sovereignty and our freedom. (laughs) Uh, Scientists really have to wrestle with this too because if you believe that the world functions according to uh, scientific laws and natural laws, you begin to wonder, can anything interfere with that? Or is everything like a big machine just marching on? And Einstein once said, God doesn't play dice, Uh, meaning nothing is random. It's all just going to happen. Well, Stephen Hawking disagrees with that. I didn't realize he spent some time here at Caltech. I've been, since I used that illustration this morning, I've been inundated. Uh, Joe, I see you, letting me know that, that he spent some time here. But in this, when I studied in Cambridge, I always ate lunch at this same pub, and he always sat at his Stephen Hawking table over here. I couldn't ever get close to it. I always wanted to. I wanted to talk about some of these things. But I'll talk to you about them. Anyway, he tries to argue that, that he's quite sure that, that there are free choices that we make, that not everything is determined, though he believes in scientific laws. And in fact, I'm trying to look for that quote. He has a great sense of humor. He said, I've noticed that even people who claim everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change the world, they look before they cross the road. <laughs> I, I think he's right. We, we don't live as if we think it's, it's like that. Well, he engages in, in black hole theory to try to show that even though natural laws normally function, that really underlying all the universe is randomness. And he says, I know this is hard to understand, but we have to think in a different dimension. And in fact, he would say, to show this diagram properly, I would really need a four-dimensional screen. 
However, because of government cuts, we could only manage to provide a two-dimensional screen. Well, you responded more than the nine o'clock or the ten o'clock service did. I think that's really funny. Um, but it's a point that I tried to make in my message uh, last week, that one of the hard things about understanding about how God has a plan that he's working out, but that you and I have responsibility to pray and to believe and to, to obey and, and to see the hand of God, is that we can't understand as three-dimensional beings how an omnidimensional God can do this, uh, but that he can. See, Hawking is trying to argue that everything is just random, therefore the future is in jeopardy, and God says, no. I want you to be at peace. Even though your lives matter, there is no randomness about it. And in fact, I just love the phrase, and I forgot to show it this morning, to bring all things, uh, not just the big things, even the little things, because sometimes they're the most frustrating, that at the end of the day, if we will trust him, someday, someday, those things that right now make no sense, they'll add up. All right, the last point. Uh, Fact about the future number three. Before God is done, God is the one who is going to receive glory, and he's going to do it through his unexpected family. Now here I've really gotten into some real religious talk, right? It sounds so great, God, you receive the glory, but what on earth does that talk mean? Well, let me try to just make it as simple as possible. Uh, To glorify something is to demonstrate or reflect what that other thing is like. It's like a mirror to show what that other thing is like. If we are going to glorify God, we're going to show or reflect to the world what God is like. Uh, How do you do that? Reflecting to the world the infinite perfections of God. Well, he says that's, that's what's supposed to happen when this church begins to become what I've, from eternity past, said I'm going to do. Bringing together people who would never be together, and that through this gathering of God's people, I'm going to show this world what I am like. Now, to to help you with this, I've thought about, there are certain arenas where we're able to see the great qualities of uh, people. Uh, We've just come through the Olympic Games, right? And, and most of us think that there's a pretty great swimmer in this world. Let me ask you, where do you see uh, the, great, the great abilities and qualities of Michael Phelps? There was a place. It, it was in the pool, in the Olympic pool. And there, his greatness as a swimmer was demonstrated. Or the other illustration, see, if I were in Chicago, I'd use Michael Jordan. Since I used Kobe Bryant this morning, I'll use Michael Jordan to let you know. All right. Being in Chicago and a huge Bulls fan, where was the greatness of Michael Jordan to be seen? I'll tell you, it wasn't usually seen in his family's or his personal relationship. It certainly was not seen on the baseball field. (laughs) You saw the greatness of his qualities at the United Center in Chicago. When you just, I would go, I saw a game where he scored 50 points in the second half and he supposedly had the flu. It was just amazing for me. Where do you find demonstrated the great qualities of a great singer like a Pavarotti? Isn't it in the concert hall? Isn't that the place where those qualities are demonstrated? Now the question, if we're going to see the greatness of God, what he is like, where is that going to be seen in this world? Well, in one sense, all the earth, when we sang a song about it, is filled with the glory of God. 
Everything that is made demonstrates that there must be a maker of it. It shows us his greatness and his majesty. But there are central places to demonstrate the qualities of God. Chapter 3, verse 20, 21, say it so clearly. To him, in verse 21, to him be glory where? Does anybody have it? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. All right. Where is this world going to see what God is like, the maker of heaven and earth? They're going to see it when they look at Jesus. But if they won't look at him, here we are, we live among among people. God plants places like Lake Avenue Church right here in Southern California, a place that needs to know that God is there. And if they wonder and they won't come, what God is like, he says they will see what God is like or should through the gathering of his unexpected family. Well, what do we have to do to demonstrate the glory of God? I want it so profound. Verse 11. In Christ we were also chosen. We were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that what? We... Paul says, who are the first to hope in Christ. He's talking about Jewish people. We Jews, he said, we are the first to hope in Christ that we might be for the praise of his glory. And you also, he said, who also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Who's the you? If Paul says the we is Jewish people, who is, who's the you? I'm just Mississippi Americans. Do you think they're in? Albert, I'm looking back at you. Any hope? Any hope? It's anybody who's not, not, not a Jewish person. And, and they had this huge wall between Jew and Gentile. They didn't want anything to do with one another. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles thought that the Jews were arrogant or whatever. They wanted nothing to do with one another. But what has happened? In Christ, Jewish people were adopted into the family. And in Christ, those who were not Jewish people were brought into the family. And in case people said, but I'm not sure that they really are, how do we know we are in the family? I'll tell you. You also were included in Christ when you heard the the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, when you became believers in Jesus, you were marked with him at the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Now, I think this is one of the most misread passages in the Bible. We pull it out of its context and just try to think about some sort of a seal, guaranteeing, or, or whatever. What I think is going on here is this. How are we really going to believe that people are in this body of Christ, both Jew and Gentile? That there is no longer a you and a we, but just, just us. All one family adopted into the family of God. And what happens as you read the book of Acts is, those who come to trust Christ have the Holy Spirit come into their lives and fall upon them. It happened to Jewish people first at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. A little bit later, you had these half-breeds, these Samaritans. They believed and they received the Holy Spirit. They're in two, the Jewish people thought. They're in two. And then in Acts chapter 2, the shock of all shocks happened. Peter heard that the Gentiles had come to faith in Christ. And when he went, he saw and experienced that they had the Holy Spirit. And look at Acts 10, 44 to 48. The Holy they must be in the family too. The seal, an identifying mark of who is in. The seal that we share the Holy Spirit, who is a down payment that God bringing us into his family will not be done with us until he has completed his work in us. 
that deposit word is a word for um, arabon in Greek. Uh, I don't, do we have any engaged people here? It was, it's a word in ancient Greek and still in contemporary Greek for, a, for a, an engagement ring. It's where someone gives it to you and says, I promise. I promise that I'll be faithful. And God says, I promise that when you have trusted me, you are in my family. Now, here's what's being said. How is the world going to see what God is like? They're going to see it as we grow in the unity of this unexpected family of God. When we become a gathering of people who would otherwise never come together, probably not even have anything to do with one another, people from different colors, different educational backgrounds, different socioeconomic levels, is that even possible? Different professions, where all of those things make us so that we're a very distinctive kind of a family with a lot of breadth and, and interest, but still we come together and worship as one family, serve as one family. And I'll tell you what happens when the world sees that, when the world sees it. Jesus said, how will people know that you are my followers when you have loved one for another? And then he prayed for us. I pray for those who will believe in me, Father, that they will be one so that the world may see and believe. The destiny of a church like this one is the destiny of the global church that as we grow in the unity of this adopted family of God, this world will look at this thing and say, God must be at work, otherwise it could never have happened. I, th I think I have put my hope for Lake Avenue Church. Do you have that one of the last slides up there? You probably wonder where on earth I am as I've been going. Oh, yeah. Will you think about this with me? The destiny of the Lake Avenue Church. I mean, if, when we allow God to do his work, we, we, what's going to happen here is that we are to become a corporate, a visible, and audible, because we're going to be singing together, family that reflects to this broken and divided world the unity, the power, the love, the holiness, the majesty and the grace of our Father. Oh, folks here in the warehouse, at least you know, this, this is my prayer for us. We're gonna, we'll have times where we get on one another's nerves, won't we? We'll have times where we have misunderstandings and we have to get in one another's presence, get it together. But there's so much at stake. Do you see what happens when God's people become divided and can't figure ways to work this out? People... People won't know what God is like. Do you see what happens when we learn to worship and serve alongside of people that otherwise people could never imagine it would happen? They will see something of what God is like. Brothers and sisters, I think we've been built uh, to have a sense that there is a destiny and that our lives contribute to it. And so I tell you, number one, you and I have a destiny individually and as a whole that we're going to be holy and blameless. Thank you, Lord. It's unimaginable. Do it today. Uh, number two, we have this promise that the things that just seem to be so random someday are going to add up. Have hope. Have hope. And number three, by God's grace, as he continues to do his work in us in this very unlikely, unexpected assembly of people,
that we will bring glory to God. That the world will see. But in seeing us, we'll see him. May it be to his glory. Amen.